and and this is one of the problems that they uh, that this theology had you know look here here is god eternal who is eternal how can he enter into our time but this by the way is precisely the teaching that we have in the genus myostaticum which is precisely that that uh that that god in his eternity and in all of his attributes enters down into our humanity and that those attributes are communicated even to his human nature so that so that Jesus, in, even in his humanity, is infinite and is in ev- all-powerful. He, he holds the universe together, and he's in every place at every time. Five hundred years ago, Martin Luther would gather around the kitchen table with friends and theologians to talk about the Bible, theology, current events, and anything else. These discussions were called Table Talks. No matter what the question, the conversations always centered around Jesus and His promise of the forgiveness of sins. Table Talk Radio takes up the conversation, bringing the promise of the gospel to our lives. Stay tuned for Table Talk Radio. Welcome to, to this edition of Table Talk Radio. I'm Evan Gigline with uh, the energized Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. I'm ready to go. Well, before we went on the air, you were <laughs> jumping off the walls. Ew. I mean. Well, for this... Ready ed- for the radio show. The most exciting 42 minutes 48 of every minutes. week. 48 minutes. It seems like 42. It goes so fast. It's, it's <laughs> Today's edition of Table Talk Radio includes Who Wants to Be a Theologian? Which Century, and a new game we're going to play in line with some former games we played, Bumper Sticker Theology, uh, what was the other one? Text Message Theology. We're going to play Billboard Theology today, but that's not after we respond to some of our listeners. Do you, can you believe it? We have more and more listeners all the time. Unbelievable. People have this great tolerance for nonsense. Yeah. Like they're sitting there with their podcasts, they run out of their 10 hours of issues, etc., uh, they 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 finish listening to Fighting for the Faith. They listen to the God Whispers. They listen to all these other shows. What's left here? What else, what else can <laughs> they, I listen to? They, list, they listen to radio. Charles Stanley and Joyce Meyer. And <laughs> oh, there's nothing left. Let's, let's see what Table Talk has. <laughs> well, well, that's we, about right. We have an email from uh, Dave in Minnesota. He says, first of all, I want like, want to let you know you now have three listeners. Hey, hey all right. Uh, the tally uh, keeps going up. That's right. We have a counter right here in the studio that. Click. Um, I began following your program a few weeks ago. I heard about you from the other program, of which I am one of the beloved on-demand listeners. Huh, I wonder what that other program is. I don't know. I've never heard of such no, a thing. No idea. I was impressed by your comments about the hymn, I Am a Soldier of the Cross, principally since I, have given, I hadn't given that hymn or song much thought since I had sung it in many years. My son, who is also my pastor, pays attention to all the words of every hymn we sing. Consider Rock of Ages. The words are very clear and full of the gospel. My son dislikes the tune. I don't know how to say this tune. Um, uh, Topoli something. So so much that we found a different tune to accompany the hymn for our worship. Yes, there is a bit of heresy in TLH, not too much, mind you, but that's the hymnal we use and the one I keep at my desk always. We just pass over the hymns that aren't scriptural. Yeah, I I, I know whoever um, this uh, the son pastor is. I know this kind of thing because Rock of Ages. I I'm just inclined to 
uh, not like it just because everyone else does. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you are. But, but, but I, you know, my secret, did I, I've told you my secret to picking hymns, right? I pick hymns that are so difficult uh, to sing that no one ever complains about the sermon. <laughs> <laughs> Well, They're just so fun. glad the hymn is over. <laughs> Rock of Ages, though, does have some nice words. I like to sing it especially for the distribution uh, because it talks about fleeing to, to Christ to be washed by him, uh, and that's precisely what's happening when we go to the altar to receive the Lord's very body and blood. So That's right. Well, then our, our next uh, comment comes to uh, us through our forum at tabletalkradio.org. Yeah, we have these table scraps uh, on our website, tabletalkradio.org, where you can have these additional interviews and, and things like that. And uh, recently you did one, I guess it was a few weeks ago now, Pastor, that, that you did one with uh, Warren Graff about the Blue Ribbon Task Force. And uh, we just yeah, that... had, uh, had a quick post in, in, in the forum saying that uh, you know, I, n- I never realized that there was something to this, uh, but maybe it's worth looking into. So is there something looking into with this Blue Ribbon Task Force? Yeah, this is insider stuff, you know, kind of Missouri Synod house cleaning. Um, but uh, there's uh, there's proposals for the upcoming 2010 synodical convention that we would uh, change our structure, the whole structure of our synod. And some of the proposals are out. They're going around to all the district um, conventions that are happening now and into the summer, and they're asking for input, etc. Uh, we had Pastor Graf to, on to point out the the Marxist language that's there in the task force. They'll, they'll use things like uh, a communal will, the communal understanding of the church. Uh, even we had a nice discussion about the language of the doctrine of the Missouri Synod and talked about how there's no such thing. The doctrine always belongs to the Lord, and if we belong to him, we have, the, we have his doctrine. So uh, it's a nice and especially worthwhile conversation, I think, to pay attention to. Um, if you're a, if you're a pastor or a delegate to the synodical conventions, or if you're interested in synodical politics for some crazy reason, oh, yeah, I, uh, then I, you I might really enjoy that that, uh, that conversation that we had. <laughs> this this pastor Graf is a genius on this sort of thing. I think the next time I have him on for table scraps, I'm just gonna go one question after another and talk to him about the uh, Barack Obama stimulus package, and then talk to him about uh, uh, the Baal worship in the Old Testament, and then come back to the Blue Ribbon Task Force. And this would uh, be like a Warren Graf a la carte. Yeah, that's right. He right. he can he can do this uh, more profoundly than anyone I know, and so it's uh, it's always good to listen to his his wisdom there. Well, that's over at our website, tabletalkradio.org, and click on the Table Scraps link. One more post for us before we get into, uh, uh, let's see, what are we playing first? Who wants to be a theologian, I think? Oh, yeah, and you're on the hot seat for that. I bet you're excited. Um, The last question, again, comes to us on our forum under the Theological Ponderings Forum. It says, one thing I wondered about is polygamy in the Bible. Many of our fathers of the Old Testament has more, more than one wife. Now, I know that marriage is for one man and one woman, but why then did Jacob, David, and Solomon, just to name a few, have more than one wife? Pastor? Well, this was... Uh, the first thing we can say about it is when when uh, men in the Old Testament took more than one wife, they were breaking the Sixth Commandment and committing adultery. I, I think that is clear enough from Matthew 19 and our Lord's teaching about marriage uh, even which he, for his teaching, goes back to Genesis 1 and 2 and says, look, uh, a man shall leave his father and mother and, and be joined to his wife. There's there's uh, one man and one woman, and that's marriage. You'll notice, though, that it happened most often with the patriarchs and with the kings. The, the patriarchs were almost like many kings. They were governors. They were kind of leaders. So it happened with the chiefs, 
the people, the men that were in charge. And this was the kind of local and ancient custom that the king would have more than one wife. We never, though, and the listeners who listen carefully, uh, and we appreciate that, can correct me on this, but I don't think that there's one example of uh, a situation where there's multiple wives where it turns out good, where you see the Lord's blessings there. And in fact, you see, especially with the example of Solomon, who had all of the, what did he have, 600 wives and 300 concubines, something ridiculous like this. Uh, that, that that things start, turn really bad, and that they uh, lead to his apostasy in the end, and as far as the scriptures tell us, to his uh, to his damnation. So it's never uh, it's never looked upon. While the scriptures oftentimes are neutral about it, it's never blessed. It's never looked upon as a good thing, uh, but always um, uh, but always a breaking of the sixth commandment. That changes everything for me. <laughs> I remember one time when I was over in Israel, and there was this fellow there. He was a uh, he was a Muslim, and he was just about to take his third wife. He had two, and he was about to take another. And the poor guy looked exhausted. And I, I said, "What's going on?" And he said, "Oh, my wives. They want me to marry their friend. Two wives is enough." <laughs> So these wives had a friend, and they thought, hey, it'll be fun. You can get married to this guy and come live with us. And, and he was just exhausted from the two wives that he already had. That was that was funny. Uh, you know, you, <laughs> that puts a different perspective on it, that's for sure. Yeah. Well, we have two minutes left in this segment. Let's. Why don't we start um, Who Wants to Be a Theologian in the next segment? But with the rest of this segment, let's talk about our theological buzzwords. Oh, that's right. I almost forgot. So how, how this works, I did this is the brainchild of Pastor Wolfmiller. We're, at the beginning of the show, we're going to give each other a theological buzzword. And uh, the, uh, you know, we'll, we'll kind of explain these, these terms a little bit, but uh, the, the other host has to somehow work in this theological buzzword throughout the show. So now we're just down to three segments to be able to get this in, Pastor. All right. I have one Pressure's for you. On. 200 points for getting it in. All right, I'm ready. What is it? Your theological buzzword, or I guess is more of a term, is genus myostaticum. Now, do we, do you uh, teach what it, that, that is? Uh, is that part of this whole business? Sure. It, it's the a Latin term meaning that the attributes of Christ's divine nature are ascribed and are communicated to the to the human nature. So that um, in the person of Christ, we have uh, both the divine nature and the human nature uh, in the person of Jesus. Right. And your theological buzzword is concupiscence. <laughs> that is the tendency of our sinful nature uh, towards sin, and that tendency itself is actually uh, considered by God to be sin. That's concupiscence. Okay, I'll we'll see if we can do that. Well, uh, that's in the segment one then of Table Talk Radio. We're going to try and get these theological buzzwords in throughout the show, but when we come back from this break, we'll be playing Who Wants to Be a Theologian? Don't go I away. Do. More Table Talk Radio right after this. Chris Rosebro, captain of Pirate Christian Radio, and Table Talk Radio is PCR's top radio program right after Issues Etc., Fighting for the Faith, Sermons from Holy Trinity, The God Whispers, The Gift, Radical Grace, SoCo, Higher Things, The Feast, Dying to Live, Living Water, Words of Hope, Internet Monk, and reruns of The White Horse Inn. Hello, this is Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. I'm planning a symposium on Islam to be held at Peace with Christ Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. We have three speakers. 
Adam Francisco from the Fort Wayne Seminary, Dr. Stephen Hine from Colorado Springs, and Deacon Shaquille Nazami from Pakistan to be talking about the history, theology uh, of Islam, and how we can reach out to our Islamic neighbors. The cost is $10, 20 max per family, again Saturday, May 16th, at Peace with Christ Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. For more information, send me an email at pastor at hope-aurora.org. Hope to see you there. Because I gotta have faith. And we're back more and more Table Talk Radio. Who Wants to Be a Theologian is next. After that, we're going to play Witch Century, and if we have time, Billboard Theology, all coming up on Table Talk Radio. Who's in the hot Oof, seat for this game? What a packed show. Oh, it's so exciting. <laughs> well, how Who Wants to Be a Theologian works is you know, obviously the same as Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. You come in as the, the lowly of lows. Uh, Slumdog you know, theologian. Yeah, this, this very bottom-of-the-line dethroned iron preachers is the first step <laughs> and uh, if you can get if you can get something right you can move up in the world oh man all right, all right. And, and this the theme for today's who wants to be a theologian oh, is yeah. the book of concord oh that's right you're getting after me you like to show that <laughs> i don't uh, uh that i don't you know the confessions, the confessions as well as i should <laughs> no 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 okay the first one is oh, and your lifelines. I need to tell you about your lifelines. You have, you have three lifelines to use. Uh, the first one is to plea for mercy from your seminary co-host. Oh, nice. Second one is to phone your wife. Okay. Or third is to get a hint at the cost of all of your table talk radio points. All of my table talk radio points ever earned in my whole life. <laughs> I was thinking of today, but I like that. I like that. <laughs> Got it. All right, here we go. From which document of the Book of Concord is the following quotation found? We neither can nor should investigate and fathom everything in this article, the, uh, the great Apostle Paul declares. Having argued about, uh, have you argued much about this article from God's revealed word? As soon as he comes to the point where he shows what God has revealed for his hidden wisdom about this mystery. He suppresses and cuts it off with the knowing words, Oh, that the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are his judgments, and how inscribable his ways! For who has known the mind of the Lord? Romans 11. In other words, we cannot know about matters outside of and beyond what God has revealed to us in his word. Would this be A, from the small called articles, B, from the large catechism, C, from the formula of Concord, or D from the appendix. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, uh, there are a couple appendices in the in the in the Book of Concord. The Visitation Articles is one of them, and I do believe the topic that's being discussed here is election. And I think if I can, oh, this is that that election did come up in the appendix. But this sounds like the um, kind of the conclusion to the discussion of the doctrine of election, which is Article Eleven, I believe, of the Formula of Concord. So I'm going to say C, Formula of Concord. You're right. Good job. Right. And you're right on the article, too. It is on election. There you go. Very yeah, good. Romans 9 through 11 really covers this doctrine of election with the mystery of the rejection of the Jewish people. And so, uh, and so this is where the, the whole argument on election 
sits. And and what, some of the best advice is comes from Luther, which I, the formula will quote, and it'll say, look, we follow the order that, that Paul does. We don't start with election. You start with sin, Romans 1, 2, and 3. You go to justification, Romans uh, 3, 4, 5. You talk about the work of the Spirit and holy baptism and Christian living, 6, 7, 8. You talk about the assurance of of eternal life uh, that comes through faith, chapter 8. And then, after you've finished all that, then you get around to election, chapters 9, 10, and 11. So so election is the last doctrine that you consider, uh, not the first. Very good. Okay, well, that, that moves you up the ladder to a peasant. From a from a dethroned iron preacher in in all shame uh, to to peasant. I forgot to wear my iron preacher shirt this morning. That's probably a good thing. Okay, next one is uh, which of the following is not an article found in the small called articles? Is it a justification, b the mass, c the marriage of priests, or d repentance? Yeah, uh, Seminarian Gagline is trying to be tricky there because um, uh, because there is an article on the Mass. There is certainly an article on repentance. That's one of the biggest ones in uh, Small Called and one of the most beautiful. Small Called, if, uh, for those of you listening, uh, for those of you singular listening, uh, <laughs> the, Small Called was what Luther wrote, a document, uh, his confession in preparation for a council, and it has three parts. Part one is kind of the creed, we all agree to this. Part two is uh, really a, a discussion of the Mass and the, the and then the dragon's tail of the Mass and all the errors that it spawned. And then part three kind of lays out, law gospel style, uh, the doctrine of the Church. Now we all know that doctrine of justification is the article on which the Church stands or falls and is the, is the chief teaching of Luther, but in small called, he doesn't, I don't think he titles any of his articles justification. He, he rather talks about Christ. And in, in the very beginning of section 2, he says, the chief article upon which all other, fall, other articles uh, fall, stand or fall, is this article on Christ. And he goes through and talks about how Christ is our Redeemer, and he, he's the one that justifies us. So I think, uh, even though it might be counterintuitive, that the article title that's not included in Small Called would be A, Justification. That is correct again. Well done, you monk. Ooh, you thought you had me on that one. <laughs> I did. No, I figured you'd get it. So, okay, well done. So you're now a monk, and uh, you're ready for the next question? Sure. Article 16 of the Augsburg Confession condemns primarily whom? Is it A, the papacy, B, the Anabaptists, C, the Pelagians, or D, Judge Judy? <laughs> okay, let me think here. Article 16. Th- this is pretty tricky. Um, <laughs> Article 17 is, uh, I believe, on the return of Christ. See, after Article 12, they kind of break down, they, they kind of follow a, a logical sequence up to Article 12, and then they kind of break down and bounce around this way and that way. Article 14 is about um, uh, is about the, the call into the office of the ministry. Article 17 is about the Jewish return. Oh, oh, oh wait a minute. Is that 16? Uh, and so, if it, if if Article 16 is about the return of Christ, certain Jewish opinions, 
uh, it would be condemning then the Anabaptists who look for the kingdom to come on this earth. So I, that's what I'm going to guess. It's Article 16 about the return of Christ, so it's condemning chiefly the Anabaptists, whatever number that was. <laughs> that was letter B. Is that your final answer? Yeah, that's my final answer. Well, uh, the bad thing is you're right. But you were wrong on the article. Articles. <laughs> it is 17 is the return of Christ in judgment. So Article 16 is about, oh, civil uh, magistrates. That's right. Right. Yeah. So uh, can, a, can a Christian ser- uh, go to war, serve in uh, the civil magistrates, serve in civil office, marry, buy property, et cetera, et cetera. That's what right. Article 16 was about. Yeah. Paragraph 3 says, our churches condemn the Anabaptists who forbid the political offices to Christians. So there you go. Oof. Uh, which well, which is go. why uh, Judge Judy was option number D, <laughs> or letter D. I should, say. <laughs> oh, I should have had a hint from that. Yeah, yes. I was wondering if Judge Judy was Jewish. I thought Article Seventeen <laughs> condemns these certain Jewish opinions. <laughs> I thought you were going to use your lifeline uh, plea for mercy from your seminarian co-host. I don't want to be brought that low. <laughs> Well, once you've been uh, the dethroned Iron Preacher, it doesn't get much lower than that. Oh, it doesn't get lower. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay, so you're now a reformer seeking to be excommunicated Luther style. All right. And again, a similar question to the first one. From which document of the Book of Concord is the following quotation found? Because up to now, people have made such a big display at the... Con- uh, consecration of monks and nuns even though their estate and existence is ungodly human invention without any bias in the or basis in the bible how much more should we honor this godly estate of marriage and bless it pray for it and adorn it with even more glorious manner for although it is a worldly estate nevertheless it has god's word on its side and is a human and is not a human invention or institution like the estate of monks and nuns so this would this be from A, the small catechism, B, the large catechism, C, the apology, or D, the Lamb's Book of Life? <laughs> I didn't know the Lamb's Book of Life was part of our confessions. So we'll take that out. Um, uh, so in, now it's not the small catechism, that's for certain. So that leaves the large catechism or the apology. <clears throat> and this sounds an awful lot like uh, Melanchthon's writing, in praise of the estate of marriage, which came up in at the end of the Augsburg Confession and the Apology in, the, in this whole discussion of can priests be married? Uh, and the reformer said, of course, look, to try to to try to forbid priests from being married is trying to undo the word of God when he said in the garden, be fruitful and multiply. You can't undo that word. It, it It's part of our huma- humanity. Only very few are given the gift of celibacy, and so it cannot be forced or coerced on every person who's ordained into the office. Much much less can you do it when Paul, for example, gives the requirements that bishops ought to be the husband of one wife. Uh, and they point out then later that this goes exactly what, um, uh, what comes in the scriptures where it says in the last days some will come forbidding marriage. And they saw that as being fulfilled in the Roman Catholic uh, cruelty of forbidding their priest to marry. I can't remember what article it is. Maybe it's Article 26 or, or something like that. It's in the late 20s uh, of the Apology. So that'll be my answer. The Apology, I think that's letter A. Uh, apology is letter C. 
You want okay. C? Letter C. Okay, well, is he right? We'll be find out right after this break on Table oh, Talk Radio. Oh, the drama. <laughs> You're listening to Table Talk Radio. Serious theology. Seriously bad hosts. In the early 16th century, there was a man named John Tetzel, who is remembered for his selling of indulgences to fund the construction of St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. He said, As soon as the coin in the coffer rings, a soul from purgatory springs. Luther, of course, combated this teaching, saying that the indulgence wasn't even worth the paper it was written on. We at Table Talk Radio want to give you something of equal value. For every dollar you donate through our website, tabletalkradio.org, we will send you one Table Talk Radio point. With this certificate of pretend Table Talk Radio points, you'll be reminded that the points on Table Talk Radio are like the treasury of merits to your salvation. No help whatsoever. Get your pretend Table Talk Radio points today by clicking the Donate button on our website, tabletalkradio.org. Thanks for listening to Table Talk Radio. Welcome back to Table Talk Radio. I feel like Howie Mandel after that cliffhanger. Have you ever yeah, watched Dealer right. no All the shows do that. It's so terrible. Hey. Who's going to be kicked off? Who's going <laughs> to right after this break? Just All right. Well, well the, the quote was, uh, because up to now people have made such a big display of co- the concentration of monks and nuns, even though their estate and existence is an ungodly human invention without any basis in the Bible. How much more should we honor this godly estate of marriage and bless it, pray for it, and adorn it even more glorious in, in a more glorious manner? For although it is a worldly estate, nevertheless it has God's word on its side, and it is not a human invention or institution like the estate of monks and nuns. Your guess was uh, letter C, the apology. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Well, uh, that's right. Open your your uh, Kolb edition of the Book of Concord to page. 368, and look at paragraph 3. 368. Oh, oh, you tricked me. <laughs> 368, paragraph 3. Oh, so this is... The, oh, you've got to be kidding. The small catechism marriage booklet. <laughs> I'm sorry. So you are incorrect. So uh, I think... Uh, oh, boy. So the small catechism, apparently when Luther originally published it, I don't even know this history. It included uh, the marriage book and the Christian question and answers in like the third and fourth editions of the small catechism or something. I guess you you don't get to be excommunicated today. Maybe another time. All right. Well, that's it. (laughs) I wanted to find that if, uh, if the apology was quoting the marriage booklet. Oh, no. That'd be a pretty good trick. Okay, well, that's it for name, or who wants to be a theologian? I always get my games mixed up. But now we're going to play Which Century? Did you write questions during that, those last segments, Pastor? 
Uh, no, no, I've got it covered though. Don't worry. Okay. Well, I'll I'll do mine first then. Are you ready? Yeah, but the, I'm ready. This, this of course. Oh, how this game works? You explain the rules. Here. Yeah, this is. Yeah, I'll stall a little bit for you so you can get some more questions. Uh, this Appreciate is this that. is a pretty simple, pretty simple game. I think the uh, title explains it, but because I need some more time to get some questions for Pastor Wolfmiller, then I'll explain it. But anyway, we, we we describe it an event in church history, and um, simply you try to guess which century that event in church history occurred. Is that good enough? Yes, and you get points for it. Don't you get points oh, for yeah, this game? Two hundred points. Did, uh, usually get points if you get excommunicated from who wants to be a theologian, but. Uh, not in this case. <laughs> I didn't make it. Oh, yeah. What a tricky okay. little seminarian we have on our hands. <laughs> All right. The, the, are you ready for your first one, then? I'm ready. Your I'm ready. first event in church history for which century is? The year Arminius took the position that predestination is based on foreknowledge. The year that Arminius took the perspective that predestination is based on foreknowledge. So there was this big debate about uh, between the Calvinists and the uh, Arminians on all of these different points, uh, and uh, and what comes uh, and it, and and it really uh, arises out of this the teaching of Arminius, who was a Calvinist and then went to investigate apparently and then changed his mind about absolutely everything. And then the Calvinist response is the Synod of Dort, which I think is in the middle of the 17th century. So I I'm going to put the I'm going to put this event right at the beginning of the 17th century. So seven what is this 17th century? Wait, I'm answering it like it's Jeopardy. <laughs> 17th century. <laughs> that is correct. Well done. Uh 1603. Now yeah, yes. and so he, uh, Jacob Arminius had had to do something with this this predestination talk in uh, in the in the Bible. You know, you can't deny that it talks about predestination in the Holy Scriptures. In fact, we just talked about that from uh, was it Romans eleven? Yep, Romans nine, yeah. ten, and eleven. Yeah, I mean, so it's right there. And so uh, Jacob Arminius took took this to, to mean not that that we were predestined per se, but that uh, when it talks about predestin- predestination, it's talking about God's foreknowledge so that God in, in time can look ahead and, and see what you decide or what you will, you know, because Arminianism is all about man's will and choice. God looked in time and saw what you would choose. And, and that's what's re- t- uh, being referred to when talking about predestination. Yeah. Intuitive fide, they called it uh, in view of faith. So God looks forward and sees your faith. And if you have it, then he elects you. Uh, but the elective, the, so the election of God then is a reaction to man, rather than our faith being uh, the result of God's election. It, it goes backwards there. And the Calvinists went nuts, and they had a synod of Dort. I think that's kind of cool. To, uh, if we have a synod someday, we should have it in Dort. <laughs> Don't you like that name? What is the synod of Dort in which we uh, get the the teachings of of Tulip that? That uh, we always talk about, associated with the, the Calvinists, it wasn't wasn't so yeah, much a, a teaching right. itself as much as it was as uh, something that came out of that synod. Yeah, and they were reacting. The tulip is a reaction to the five points of Arminius. So the five, so Arminius has his five points, and then the Calvinists react and say, "No, no, it's wrong." And, and this is the tulip. Why you're wrong? So right. So there you go. Uh, yeah. So anyway, very good. All right. Do you have one for me? Sure. Uh, Jonathan Edwards, the elder, called the American Calvin, was born at East Windsor, Connecticut. 
Uh, he would later pastor it at the Northampton two, with two great awakenings. Uh, he was missionaries to the Indians at Stockbridge. Uh, he, he was president of Princeton College. He wrote The Freedom of the Will, etc., etc. Uh, you know, he preached the sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, uh, which talking about it always fires up things on our forum. <laughs> uh, I want to know what century he was born in. Oh, the year Edward was born in. Um, I think that would... See, I, I I think you're trying to catch one closer to the line. Am I right? Yes. <laughs> My first response is to say the 19th century, but I'm wondering if it wasn't just before the the, the line, the 18th century. But uh, I'm still going to go... Uh, maybe it is the 18th century. 18th century. You're right. Whew. 1703. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so I was on the wrong end. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> he was born in 1703. He died in 1758, looks like. Oh. This guy, you know, he was kind of a genius. Uh, there, and apparently there's a big uh, Jonathan Edwards revival going on these days. And uh, and and the waves of this lap up on our forum on our website every once in a while. Um, I do think this guy was a, t- a towering intellect enough t- that we should pay attention to him, and that is Calvinism was uh, unique from the from the kind of classic Calvinism. But he still is a Calvinist, you know. No, no getting around that business. Yes. But he liked to talk about the Bible, so we can appreciate that. Sure. Just like we somehow people can appreciate Table Talk Radio. <laughs> there's some, there's some good that comes out of it. I think maybe the, maybe there's something there that our listeners like Jonathan Edwards. They they have a high tolerance for things. <laughs> Ooh man, uh, you're gonna get it. That's PRBW no at TableTalkRadio.org. I'm not insulting our listeners on purpose, anyways. Oh man. Okay, I tried to insult you this whole time. And are you ready for your next one? Sure. Um, the Declaration of Papal Infallibility when speaking ex cathedra. Uh, Declaration of Papal Infallibility when speaking ex cathedra. What are you doing? Are you walking around your office? I can barely hear you. I'm playing a little What's in Your Pastor's Library. <laughs> <laughs> just, just need to get a book for your next question here. Don't worry. <laughs> I'll read it again. The year of the declaration of papal infallibility when speaking ex cathedra. Uh, this is um, th- this is not uh, this is not an ancient thing, but modern. Um, uh, uh, in fact, um, if I remember right, this whole business kind of comes clear in Vatican One. Uh, which is the late 19th century, although it was assumed before. I mean, there's all these declarations and everything about about papal infallibility from way, way back. Um, in fact, we put together a document relating to, to papal supremacy uh, that's uh, somewhere on our church website under resources, I believe, and maybe we'll put that up on Table Talk as well. So you can see the teaching of papal infallibility goes way back. But this whole ex-cathedra business, I think, is pretty bound to Vatican I, which is late 19th century, 1870s, I think. How's that for an answer? So which century? 19th. Uh, correct, and you are right. That was a uh, Vatican II. So 1870 was the date. Wait, Va- Va- Vatican I. Oh, sorry, yeah, Vatican I. Did I say two? 
I meant one. Yeah. Vatican one. Now here's an amazing sort of thing is that is that the the Council of Trent doesn't say anything about the authority of the Pope. Can you believe that? I can't. That's a, a kind of phenomenal thing to me. I'd like to know a little bit more about why. So Trent doesn't say anything about papal infallibility, but Vatican one is all about it. Uh, and Vatican II just has it as really as the assumption, uh, and 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 Vatican II talks more about the kind of collegial effort of all of the ministerium of the church. Uh, but yeah, it's strong in Vatican I. Yeah, that's right. Well, um, we have about a minute left, so why don't you give me your next history question, and then I'll try and guess it on the other side of this break. Okay, the birth of Buddha. <laughs> Great. I have time to Google it then during this break. <laughs> yeah, you might need to because I'm looking for it too and I can't find it. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll figure that out by the time we get back on Table Talk Radio. During this break, check out our website, tabletalkradio.org, where we have some articles on there. You were supposed to write a new article, Pastor, and put it on our website. Uh, Hey, I put together something yesterday. It's called the Chronology of the Easter Accounts, and it puts all the different accounts of the resurrection in chronological order, so we'll pop that up there, and that'll be it. How about that? There you go. Okay. We have a new article on our website, tabletalkradio.org. Check it out. We'll be right back. Table Talk Radio, giving away 100 million Table Talk Radio points by 2017. Did you know you can advertise on Table Talk Radio? Get the word out about your event or conference, or inform them about your product or service. Sponsors of Table Talk Radio are played on all of our affiliates and are permanently placed on our podcast at tabletalkradio.org. For more information, leave a message at 866 866- 851-5523 or email me evan at tabletalkradio.org that's 866-851-5523 or evan at tabletalkradio.org Welcome back to Table Talk Radio. Why don't you read your uh, history event again, Pastor, when we're playing uh, here for uh, which century? The birth of Buddha, or as I prefer to pronounce it, Bahuda. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, there's no D at the end. Buha, Budha, the birth of Budha. And you got, you have no idea. So, <laughs> um. You're right. I don't know. Um, did you know? I mean, did you have an idea? You, I mean, you didn't know, obviously, but did you have an idea when you were looking it up? I mean, I could have guessed. I, I don't know if I would have been right or wrong. Or It's a long time ago, you know? It's hard to remember that far back. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think if this was, if this would be B.C. or A.D. It's B.C. It is B.C. Okay, so yeah. thank you. Um, so I'm just going to guess... I don't know, the 2nd century B.C. Well, there's two competing traditions, apparently. Oh, so uh, I have a, when, uh, uh, a little bit better chance of getting this right. <laughs> right, that's right. So so Siddhartha Gautama, the Buddha, uh, either on 566 B.C. or 448 B.C. So that would have been the f- 
oh, what is that, fourth or third centuries? Oh, are you kidding? Or is it the other way around? I don't know how you do name the centuries <laughs> in BC, but but anyways, you got it wrong. Oh well, not even close. You know he was a prince. You know how the story goes. He was a prince, and then he he never left the palace. And then one day he goes riding along, and he peeks out the window, which was always closed, and he sees suffering. He sees someone dead, and he sees someone hungry, and he says, "Wait a minute!" So he leaves his his family, and he goes out into the woods to try to sort out. Uh, uh, to sort this stuff out and uh, and comes up with that suffering is an illusion and so through meditation we can escape suffering in this world. Uh, the exact precise opposite of Christianity, which says that in the suffering of Christ um, we have our salvation. All right. Just to update everybody on the score, not that I want to, but uh, Pastor Wolfmiller has 400 points and I, I linger at a mere Man, 200. 400 points. <laughs> By the way, the the complete tally of, of all the tables like radio points indicates that I am still in the lead. Just so you know, yeah, I gave what because I gave you one time. I gave you one hundred and fifty thousand or something. Yeah. Oh well. Too bad. Oh, okay. Well. La- last one. I want, we need to get through this so we can play some Billboard theology. Oh yeah. Um, okay. So this this last one is um, the year Ignatius led uh, was led to Rome to be martyred. Ignatius, Ignatius. Uh, of course, Ignatius was early. Of course, uh, the, all the martyrdoms pretty well stopped after 330-ish um, with uh, Constantine, and Christianity became first illegal, first legal and then this uh, religion of Rome. So this is going to put it uh, in the very first few centuries. Um, uh, Ignatius. Ooh. Um, I'm trying to remember. I like to see you struggle like this. Ignatius was a a student of, but but so anyway, it's got to be either the third century that would be the 200 or the second century that would be the 100s. Um, Ignatius of Antioch. Um, I'm trying to trying to wrap remember some sort of event that would tie him to to a date. I just I just can't. Um, well, I'm going to say that he was early enough, part of the apostolic fathers, I think the second or third generation after the apostles, that his martyrdom would have been in the third century. So you're guessing third century? Yes. Oh, wait, wait, wait. No, no. In the 100s. That makes it the second century. Sorry. Second century. Was that your final answer? Yes, that's my final answer. Okay, well, it is the second century. Are you sure you don't want to go oh, third gosh. century? <laughs> Dang it. 107 was the year. 107. That's so, right. Now it was um was Ignatius a student of Polycarp who was how did that work out? I can't I can't um, remember that far back. <laughs> that was a long time ago. Don't don't take it too hard on yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to ask some people in my Bible class if they remember back then. <laughs> oh, that go over well. <laughs> <laughs> it always it always does. Ignatius, Ignatius. Or we, we could just here. have someone on the show that knew something about what we're talking about. <laughs> the bishop that. of Antioch in Syria, close of the first century, beginning of the second, suffered martyr, under, martyrdom under Trajan at Rome, where he was thrown to the lions at the Colosseum, 107. He During lost. the transportation to Rome, he wrote letters to various churches in Asia Minor and one to Polycarp. Uh, 
two in Greek, one in Syriac, etc. Polycarp must have written about his martyrdom. Hmm. So there you go. Fascinating. Okay. Uh, your your turn. Or my turn. Wait, I thought we were done. Then we're going to play Billboard Theology. Oh, okay. I didn't know if you had one more for me. It's kind of cheap. Well, if you want one. It's kind of cheap because you have uh, here, more points. Here, tell me. I'll give, I'll give you an event, and you tell me if you want to go on to Billboard Theology. <laughs> okay. uh, the organization of the Illinois Synod of the North. Well, I can't lose any points, so I might as well guess. The Illinois Synod? Uh, that's probably the... Um, the Synod of Northern Illinois. Uh, I'm going to go with the uh, 19th century. Well, you're right. 1855, Cedarville, Illinois. There it's it right here on the page, right across from Ignatius. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's another 200 for me. For you. Hey, Billboard Theology. <laughs> this I did a lot of driving over over Holy Week uh, for my for a little break from school, and I came, drove across came across a lot of uh, billboards. And I thought, let's play some billboard theology. The first one I saw was uh, one that said, "If you died today, where would you spend eternity?" Now, uh, w- one thing we can kind of talk about with this billboard uh, pastor is this this uh, question that. This uh, proposal or hypothesis that you made about uh, questions that don't give the answer are law, not gospel. So if you died today, where would you spend eternity, law or gospel? Um, uh, Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I mean, it's... <laughs> this is... <What>? Just... <laughs> I mean, I I don't know. It's, it's law. In other words, it... It's a frightful question. That's um, true. The gospel is the answer to the question that because Christ died in our place, we will we will not perish but have eternal life. So, um, so the gospel is is the answer. Now, if this question, if people are trained to bring the answer to the question and say, "Oh, because Christ died for me, I have the sure hope of eternal life," then then the question doesn't terrify as much. It doesn't bring. Uh, you know the threats of uh, of hell uh, that it would to the unbeliever, but I, I'm not sure if it's. See, the reason why I hesitate a little bit is I'm not sure it's quite effective law either. Because how do most people answer this question? I mean, if you go and you ask people, uh, "Will you go to heaven?" or "How do you get to heaven?" or this sort of thing, you know what everyone says? Uh, yeah, I'm going to heaven. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They say, "Yeah, of course." Are you going to heaven? Sure. Why? Well, I'm a good person. Uh-huh. I'm better than that chump over there. I've lived better a good life. Yeah, uh, I I, I'm, I never went to seminary. All these other good works that they did. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so people, so people see that question and they and they, where will you spend eternity? And they say, oh well, heaven, of course, heaven. So it doesn't really. It's not that particularly effective law. You see what I mean? Yeah. Um, Perhaps the law in it is it, it was is just the first part. If you die tonight, if you die, we, we you could even make it even more pointed and say when you die, because we all will die if the Lord tarries and doesn't return. So, um, so the the thought of death certainly comes to us as as law because it's the wages of our sin. But you have to know that from the Bible, mm-hmm. uh, people who. Who don't know this stuff? It doesn't doesn't matter. So okay. Well, what about know. this next one then? It says uh, life is short, 
Eternity isn't. Yeah. <laughs> this is. <laughs> I like this one because it's like a Captain Obvious of billboards. It's like a. Yeah, that's true. Eternity is a long time. <laughs> Eternity <laughs> is, in fact, eternal. Whoa, it is? Oh. But maybe it's, I mean, trying to point out the fact that I guess the idea of that billboard is, look, here you spend all this effort living for the now, living for this life, serving yourself in this life. But uh, there's a life to come, and it's long, uh, and, and our priority should be there. Kind of what Jesus said, store up for yourselves kingdom uh, um, treasures in heaven instead of on this earth. Uh, but it's just, it it just kind of strikes me as... I, I hope. I mean, I hope the person who put it together had a bit of a sense of humor and knew that that this sounds kind of silly. <laughs> you, you hope they weren't being serious. <laughs> Eternity isn't short. No, I mean that there's a little bit of uh, of uh, a lightheartedness to that. So. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What do you think about that? Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, yeah, they're trying to to make you think. Hey, if you know, if you're not sure, I mean, this kind of goes with the second one. I wonder if the same same people who put up the first one put up the second one. I can't remember how far away they were, but I mean, okay, you know, if you're not sure you're going to heaven, you're going to spend a long time in hell. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, this yeah, is that's kind right. of the idea they're getting across. So. But you know, here there's something something about that billboard strikes me as Calvinist, and I think it reminds me of this Calvinist saying where, you know, the Calvinist always said uh, the the finite is not capable of the, of the infinite. Right, finite non capox infinitum, or however that you would say it. Uh, the the finite can't handle the infinite. Um, and, and this is one of the problems that they, uh, the, that this theology had, you know, look here, here is God eternal, who is eternal. How can he enter into our time? But this, by the way, is precisely the teaching that we have in the genus Myostoticum. Oh, you're kidding. <laughs> Which is precisely that, that, uh, that, that God in his eternity <laughs> and in all of his attributes enters down into our humanity and that those attributes are communicated even to his human nature so that, so that Jesus, in, even in his humanity, is infinite and is in ev- all-powerful. He, he holds the universe together and he's in every place at every time. Okay, right when I got done talking, my timer went off. And I was going to close out by saying, hey, next time we should have a theological buzzer and we should try and say the word within the... Then you said it. You just ruined everything. <laughs> anyway, tune again next time to Table Talk Radio. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> You've been listening to Table Talk Radio. The views expressed on this show are that of the hosts and do not reflect the views or opinions of this station. We would like to answer your questions concerning theology, the scriptures, or anything else. Send your questions to questions at tabletalkradio.org or leave us a voicemail message, 866-851-5523. Be sure to check out our website, tabletalkradio.org. Thanks for listening, and tune in again next time to Table Talk Radio. <laughs>